Apple presents events at the Apple Store. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome this evening's guest moderator from Women Innovate Mobile, Kelly Hoey. Thank you, thank you. Thanks, Matt, and thanks, Josh. Um, it's great to see everyone tonight, and um, I'm really excited about this conversation. I got my Fitbit on. We're going to talk about smart and dumb embedded devices and what this all means. Um, so sitting with me, and they're going to do their full introduction of who they are and what really interests them. But I've got uh, Carla Diana from uh, the Smart Interaction Lab, Josh Clark, who is Global Moxie, and Diana Stepner, who is the head of future technologies at Pearson. Um, so Carla, because you're closest, what are you working on? What's, what, what's interesting you in all this internet of things? Well, um, our robotic future <laughs> is fascinating me. Um, as part of what I do, in addition to the lab at Smart Design, I'm affiliated with a number of um, academic institutions. So at Georgia Tech, I was working on a humanoid robot. It has eyes and arms, and can, you can hand it things. It has pads in its hands. and um, It does more than game shows. Yes. <laughs> And you can teach it. You can teach it to clean up and pick up things. Um, and what's fascinating me is that we're going to see pieces of those robots. I don't envision a future where we actually have necessarily talking, walking machines with heads and eyeballs, but that there are going to be elements of that, that there are going to be these subtle moments, that there's going to be uh, your, your coffee cup that winks at you in some way or glows or lets you know what's happening and your environment is going to know what you're doing and be able to sense you and I'm completely immersed in that wonder of what that should be. Well, and so having technology embedded in things we're already using. Mm -hmm. Yes. So um, Talk about the apron you didn't bring. Yes. <laughs> Not happening. There's an apron. So that Kelly's tweets. very she upset with I'm me really upset because about one of the projects that we did in the Smart Interaction Lab, uh, because we have such a rich history in um, understanding people's behaviors in the kitchen, but we are also uh, playing around with all of our um, sensors and embedded computers. We created an apron that tweets, so <laughs> it has a magnetic clasp. Um, you know, to close it up, and uh, when you close the clasp. It tweets to a group of people and lets them know that um, dinner is being cooked. And then when you undo the class, it sends another tweet that says that dinner is on the table. And that's it. And that's all it does. And, um, but that's handy. It is. <laughs> that's very handy. So before I sort of jump down the line, where did, you, where did this all start for you in terms of being interested in... Yeah, we think, I would say first design, but then how technology gets embedded into design. Well, um, I always wanted to make things. I actually studied mechanical engineering originally. I didn't know that such a thing as industrial design existed. And then um, I worked for a number of years, and I went back to school to study industrial design. At that time, um, in the late 90s, there were a lot of visions of magical robotic things that would 
have sensors in them, and the technology wasn't there. Um, but we could see it coming. So it's been very exciting, you know, and throughout that I've gone through the dot-com error and have been involved both in physical object design as well as software and um, was a very geeky teenager, so I had done a lot of computer programming um, be even before any of this other stuff. And, you know, when I saw all of this about to be coming together, it was exciting to re-pick up my computer programming skills and use it to prototype. Oh. Cool. Very cool. So, Josh, what's in this whole internet of things, what's interesting you? Well, I'm just really excited, first of all, about all the stuff that Carla's talking about, which is just the idea that it's become trivially inexpensive to put a sensor, a CPU, an internet connection onto just about anything, which means that you know, for a long time we've been, or for the last several years, we've been trying to take our digital interfaces into the physical world by kind of etching these cool user interfaces called apps onto these slabs that we carry out into the world. And at the same time, just sort of very suddenly, we've got the physical world becoming digital, like to be able to have just about any object, even something you know, sort of as, as mundane as an apron, start having kind of a digital presence. Um, and so I think that the, the opportunity for a designer like me, I'm an interaction designer, but all, for all of us is just the, the regular folks who use these things is you know, to be able to kind of cross this chasm between physical and digital is, is super exciting. I mean, to give a sense of just how cheap it is now to put sensors on stuff, there's a, this company called Proteus that's developed this sensor that's about the size of a grain of sand that they put into pills, like, a, like medication, right? So it's a, it's a pill that reports when it's being taken. And so the sensor, same stuff that's like in a... Who is uh, it reporting to? Well, so your, your doctor. <laughs> but I mean, this is the creepy thing, right? Is ultimately, where does Who's all this data go? Your mom. That's right. No, but check this out. Check it out. It's like, it's the same stuff that's like in a vitamin, like some copper and magnesium. And you take this pill and it hits your stomach acid and it like turns it into a battery, just strong enough to send the serial number of the pill out to you and you wear this little patch, this little Bluetooth patch that then relays the signal to your phone or internet, sends it up to your doctor, adds GPS and timestamp, and Josh is taking his pill, good boy. But you're right, who gets it? I mean, that's fine if it's between me and my doctor, but what if it starts to be, I don't know, McDonald's saying, oh, you know, for inventory control, <laughs> you know, this burger that was made in Peoria was eaten in New York, you know, two weeks later, you know, I mean, that's kind of like, I don't know, now it's data about my body. So there's some creepy stuff to this. I right. mean, there's stuff yeah. that, that it really can help us. There's a lot of, gonna be a lot of stuff. But because it's become so inexpensive to put a, a, a sensor or in a computer and internet connection on anything, anything that can be connected will be connected, and, it, and anything can be connected. So you know, there's gonna be lots of opportunity to talk to our physical environment and have a digital, uh, uh, um, presence, including our own bodies, right. uh, but there is also a creepy factor to that, that we have to sort of be mindful of, of what the implications are. Well, we could just stop right there, <laughs> just <laughs> scared to death. <laughs> so, Diana, Head of Future Technologies at Pearson, what are your thoughts on all of this? So for me, I think it's combining also what both of, yeah, Josh and what Carla have said, it's seeing kids actually create 
things that they can control and interact with that has been amazing because we've almost gone through a phase of where everybody was focused on software and software and software. And now what's happening is we're seeing a lot of kids actually making devices that help them understand electronics and help them understand how technology is created. And it's through the, the connections that they have with these devices, the way that they tweet out or the way that they actually communicate with the world around them, that they're really understanding what's possible and so I think we're seeing the next generation of amazing things brewing in these kids' heads just by you know, the sensors and all of the controls that they now have access to because of the prices, because of the size, because of just the availability. And so I think we're gonna see amazing things happen when these kids get to a point where, yeah, they're thinking about what do I wanna do with my career, my job, my, you know, my spare time. They're gonna have skills that yeah, the generation before didn't have. Is, is there, I mean, you're, literally your face lit up when you were talking about this. Is there a particular example of, of something you've seen with kids in a school or yeah. competition or something that you, in terms of watching them create? One of the, where we're off, our office is located in London is right near Somerset House. And it's an amazing building. It's a very historic London monument. In the winter, it's got an ice rink in the middle, in the summer they show movies. It's just incredible. And underneath it, there has been government staff basically filing paper. And what they did last year is they said, thank you very much, we're moving away from paper. We need to figure out what to do with this space. And so a friend of a friend found the connection and there is now a maker space going in underneath Somerset House. And if you picture all the nooks and crannies of Harry Potter's you know, school world, that's exactly what it's like. You go around a corridor and then there's a windy staircase. You go underneath and you look up and you've got these amazing views and it's a maker community. And the kids are coming in and learning about technology. There's a woman there who's doing kind of microbiotic fashion merged with other totally random things. And all the kids are getting exposed to this. And they're growing up thinking this is normal. And the things that they're going to come up with in their heads is just going to blow all of us away because of opportunities like that. And I just, to me, that's incredible. And it's totally cool. I love that you brought up the Harry Potter thing because <laughs> there really is this sort of sense of, of magic yep. to this. You know, and, and sometimes technologists can kind of overstate the sort of use of magic and wonder, but there is some stuff that seems literally magical about these things that you know, for a long time, our experiences with technology have been about the screen, where we're sort of glued to the device. And I think that one of the amazing things that mobile devices have unlocked and things like the iPhone and all the devices that came after it. It's just the sensor-driven computer that pushes the interaction off the screen. I mean, the first time you saw Shazam on, on an iPhone or an Android phone, you know, you're just like, wow, it knows cool. the music that's playing. Yeah. Or, you know, there's an app called WordLens where you just like point the, the, the phone's camera at, at text in one language and it translates it right there on the screen and it, it imposes, you know, it's like, it says it in Spanish here, but on the screen, I'm looking at the menu, and it's in it's in English. Uh -huh. You know, it just uh -huh. tr transposes yeah. the whole thing. So you know, you're not going to order the tongue or the tripe by accident right. ever again. <laughs> you know, but it's like this thing that's kind of like it's not about the screen even right. anymore. It's right. like there's this opportunity to push interaction off of the screen, 
and into the environment and into the objects around us so that hopefully we're not always Looking down. pecking at the right. screen. I mean, right. last, last week in San Francisco, there was a guy who went into a loaded you know, muni train, a, you know, ah. a, a full train, and started waving a 45 pistol around. And nobody noticed because they were all <laughs> looking at their screens. And you know, you think here in New York, maybe the same thing would happen. They have the security camera, and the guy tried like five times. Poor guy is trying to rob people. Wow. <laughs> totally didn't work because nobody noticed. That's Everyone's so, so busy on the train with their face. Yeah, we don't want to interact with each other. We're interacting with our screens. It sounds like a comedy sketch. Well, yeah, well, it was. There was an SNL short that was actually filmed in the office uh, where I work when I'm at the lab. And um, it's called Heads Up, and it's an app that was created so that it tells you what's happening in front of you. So it'll say <laughs> you're about to run into traffic, or your wife is talking to you, or the elevator door is going to open. <laughs> that's hysterical because we're like, it's a great mm. sketch. <laughs> so okay, that's okay. So you're you're. I was going to just going to ask you what's going on in the lab. Now we know you're filming Saturday Night Live yes. sketches <laughs> in the lab, but you're not. You're not. What kinds of things are you making in the lab? Well, we're we're very focused on Internet of Things and trying to figure out what that means in people's everyday lives. I mean, there are a lot of business applications when you can think about jet planes and monitoring what's happening in factories, but we want to know what is really going to make a difference and not just clutter our lives with more technology. So um, we've been playing with a couple of what I call everything machines that are out there that you can buy off the shelf and you can plug a number of sensors into them. One is called Twine that's created by a group called Super Mechanical and they're a couple of ex-MIT students from the Information Ecology Group. And Twine actually will, has, it's a little box, an anonymous little box, that uh, has a Wi-Fi card in it. So it will connect to your network, and then you can plug any sensor in it. So what we're doing is we're trying to think of everyday situations, like I need to thaw a steak for dinner. And maybe this could be a way that I could know when it's ready. Or, um, you know, I want to know how many times I went to the refrigerator. Or I want to know when the restroom is free. And we can hook up a sensor. Like, I want to know how many times. Is this a really hard day? How many times did people go to the coffee pot? And so those are the kinds of questions we're asking. And how can we make things meaningful? Um, we also, we have three separate offices. One is in New York, one's in San Francisco, one's in Barcelona. And we have trouble with our culture sometimes, not really trouble, but you know, we want to feel more connected even though we're in such separate locations. So we're playing with some of our Internet of Things technology in order to give us a sense of presence in the other offices. And you know, an obvious one is to know what the temperature is, but we're trying to push it further. Like, can we actually sense activity and what would activity be? Or you know, can we sense noise? Can we know that they're having happy hour because you know suddenly the the sound in the kitchen area just went up? And yeah, okay. Carla, you told me about the the good night lamp for the first time. Oh, Talk yeah. about that a little bit. I think that's a really yeah great yeah. yeah. So the good night lamp is a really lovely. Pro I think that's a really poetic um, application of Internet of Things. So um, it's. It's a series of lamps. There's a large lamp that represents you, and then there are a series of smaller lamps that represent people that you care about or to whom you've given the other lamps. And when you turn yours on, one of the small lamps in the other person's set turns on. And when they turn theirs on, yours turns on. So I might have these 
series of small ones, one that represents my best friend and one that represents my grandma. And um, when she turns her light on, I can see that she's home um, and vice versa. And the, there's, a, there's a really lovely video that also goes through a number of scenarios because I think that's also what's really interesting about all this technology is that as designers, we envision a set of scenarios, but what we're finding is that people are actually using them in ways that we hadn't thought. So one of the applications that's actually envisioned is um, for a, a, a web meeting or a, a virtual meeting when you're about to be on video chat with someone but you want to know when everybody's there so they can set so you can be working and they can set their light when they're ready and then you know and then it's just another application i would say much less intrusive than hey who's on the line and having yeah. to do that roll call or you know all that other kind of stuff I mean, you know, talking about it, it's like I think that's something that's really sort of interesting and important about it is that we tend to think about our technologies as getting s fancier and fancier and mm -hmm. smarter and smarter, you know, devices with bigger screens and faster computers. And I think that's something that you're sort of talking about is, well, you know, that's probably going to happen. But on the other hand, we're going to have a bunch of dumb devices that right. only do sort, of, thing. sort of little right. tiny things. So yeah. a lot of this stuff is like you guys are talking about the future and you're talking about lights that light up. Right. You know, it doesn't yeah. necessarily sound super great. Yeah. But the question is, the, the thing is, is sort of not about how we, how do we make a, a, a web browsing refrigerator, right. which a lot right. of that futurists seem everything. to like. Yeah. Like, let's put a screen on it. It's right. like a Twitter Listen, client on my refrigerator. I want my, my fridge to keep things cold. It does not need to surf the internet. Well, that's it. What is the <laughs> job that you hire the objects in your life to do? Right. And how can putting an internet connection on it make it better? So right. think about the microwave oven, right? I don't want it to be a Twitter client, right? I want it to be a better microwave. And what's right. the job that you hire a microwave to do? You know, I don't know about you guys. I use my microwave oven as a clock more than anything <laughs> else, right? It is a clock with an oven attached to it. Right? Yeah. How do you make it a better microwave oven with an internet connection? How about the clock is always right? So, right. you know, there's this sort of idea of what some people are calling mundane computing. Right. right. Where it's kind of like we can ma just make things because it's, again, so trivially inexpensive mm -hmm. to add this stuff. Right. How can we make it sort of trivially better at being the thing that yeah. it is? I was going to well, say one of the best things in London is there's a, a bakery that everybody wants to go to, but you don't want to wait in line. And that was their first example of like a smart technology is they would tweet when the bread was done. And that would allow people then to know when to queue. And that, to me, makes perfect sense. So with some of the things where it sounds kind of weird and wacky, it actually saves time and it makes it more effective. So you don't need to sit there waiting and waiting and waiting for the bread to be done. So I like um, things like that. What, well, one of my favorite examples, I teach a smart objects course. And I always um, show this example because I tell the students, you don't have to have your device do everything. It doesn't have to have a screen and take all the data in. So there is um, a company in Boston called Ambient. Uh, that created the orb, which I think is one of the very first Internet of Things projects. And they do an ambient umbrella that glows to let you know if it's raining. It glows a different color if it's going to rain. And you keep it just by your door. And I think what's really lovely about that is that it is just... It's an interaction. You and I can be talking and walking out the door, and I can actually see that data grab the umbrella without missing a beat without really you know having to dig into an app and see what's happening well and it, i think you'd have to have one that has geography because being from the west coast i can tell you we have a different view on rain than new yorkers yeah i was gonna say <laughs> after a while in london we would begin to ignore it because it would always <laughs> right. be yeah, telling us That's it was raining true. <laughs> the umbrella would be permanently lit up that it is always it's going to rain tomorrow it's like again yeah yeah and so some of this what we're talking about is is with um respect to the home 
but and with respect to us as individuals. But let's talk about the workplace. And I'm looking right down at you, Diana, in terms of like where can and I know we had a conversation on brainstorming tools that have in terms of interactive, but where do you see the Internet of Things in the workplace? And actually, I'm going to tweak it slightly and say in schools, and that's what we're starting to look at, because kids don't necessarily want to do what they're told, but the devices that they're carrying can do what they're told. And so from that perspective, we're seeing more applications in smart classrooms where the devices are actually the thing that check in that a student's there. They're helping the students actually form groups. They're helping the students actually collaborate and be more connected to the scenarios around them. And instead of asking the students to do those things, we can get the devices to do it. And so it gives us kind of a, an underway, kind of backhanded op opportunity to be able to help them learn and help them become more connected. And they think it's kind of cool because it's the device doing it, not the teacher telling them to do so. So that's helping a lot. Oh, do you have like like tell what's the like the collaboration or or so some of it's about roll call yeah. and so you come into the class and normally the teacher would have to say you know are you here are you here they'd look around the classroom see what desk is empty but as soon as the student comes in with the device the device checks in the student and so those types of mundane tasks are being done by applications and so it's saving the teacher time and giving them more opportunity to actually teach than to do some of the things that are more administrative and so it's freeing them up to have more creativity. So that great scene in Ferris Bueller's day off will not exist. I think in the he internet would have still found a way. <laughs> yes, he would have found, found a way. way. <laughs> but things like that are just it's amazing and then I think there's going to be more things that a classroom could actually react to the students themselves, exactly as you're saying with the rain. It may be that the students are beginning to look bored. There could be some type of sensor that would detect the, the facial expressions and then give the teacher kind of a heads up. You better liven something up because your kids are about to fall asleep. So I think things like that are going to start appearing pretty soon. Very, very, very cool. Um, Talk about the brainstorming tools that you developed, because I think these were really cool in terms of an idea of, of uh, as you talked before, about the culture between your offices mm -hmm. and in having more engaging meetings. Oh, yeah. Um, so, uh, well, first of all, I should say, I shouldn't say I developed, but my lab um, and the Barcelona team, I really have to give them credit for running with it. Um, and they created it for the Mini Maker Fair in Barcelona. But there are a series of tools to help with brainstorming. And the first one is a modern day talking stick. And so it's meant to uh, encourage people who might tend to be shy to talk more, as well as to limit those people who are less shy. So it actually has embedded electronics, and it knows when it's being held, and a timer will go off, and then it will buzz when it's time to pass it on. And um, another object is uh, a kind of a bell-shaped jar that will be collecting all of the sounds that are happening during the meeting. And um, you can approach it at a later time and go back to a random sound. I mean, you can even use it outside of the meeting. You can have it out in an environment all day, and then you can use it to jog your memory or to make you think about something completely different. And then um, the third set are a series of rings that will glow a different color um, when you hold them, when it's time for you to speak. And uh, you're supposed to take the point of view of that color. And it's, it's inspired by a book um, that's called Six Thinking Hats. 
Um, and so if it's green, you take a positive point of view. If it's red, you're even if you really think positive things, you have to force yourself to be the devil's advocate. The, you know, the fun thing with all of this stuff, too, is like, it's like the objects are taking on personalities. It's sort of, you remember Pee-wee's Playhouse? You guys, you're with <laughs> yeah. me, right? Where Pee-wee <laughs> had the chair named Cherry, Cherry and the floor was Flory, Flory and Mr. Window and Mr. Kite. And they all like had their little roles and talked to him. And I mean, part of the thing is that that could seem kind of chaotic. You know, what if Cherry and Flory oh, yeah. kind of rise up, right? Yeah. But, but, but Pee-wee kind of kept him at bay, right? right. I mean, he was the, the thing that yeah. kind of made everybody work together. Mm -hmm. And you think about, we have all these like objects that potentially can be acting on our behalf or doing all these things. And what's going to kind of wrangle them? How do we interact with all these things? And I, you know, I think a lot of it, I mean, you kind of mentioned you bring in a device as yeah. a student and it recognizes you. That's your ID. Whether it's a phone or a tablet or something we haven't seen yet, it does seem like we're going to have a, you know, a small number, I hope, of small of smart devices mm -hmm. to kind of talk to and wrangle and communicate right. all these dumb gadgets. And I think the really interesting thing too is, you know, what are the kind of magical interactions that we can do to exchange information and, and so that we can be the ringleader mm -hmm. among all these sort of, you know, now sort of sentient objects right. in our in our lives. Well, what's really interesting about that is, as a designer, we already think about personality, right? We, even if it's something that's simply wooden, or if it's if it's a bottle, we think about what the shape of the bottle is, and does it look aggressive, or does it look cute? And so now that we're going to be designing behaviors, and I'm really fascinated about design practice turning into something where behavior is just as important as material, um, then you know that's just it should all go along. And I think it's a pretty sophisticated thing to do well, but I think it's a great challenge for us as designers to be designing behaviors that are you know, intrinsic to the personality of the object. I think Who it's knew? been Pee interesting to watch. Answer. Yeah, it's been interesting to watch how things progress because I remember when we got our phones, it was just having you know a touch screen was quite interesting, and then you would have the ability to talk to your phones, and now the phones can actually sense things about you. And so as we incorporate more and more senses, it's going to be interesting to see how they're used. But I also think, as you're saying, it'll be interesting to see how we communicate through our devices, our feelings and attitudes without actually having to, to do so. And so do we start becoming, I don't know, smarter about ourselves because our devices are actually detecting and conveying back how you're really feeling? Because sometimes we may you know, hide behind a, a certain you know, mask per se, but our phones are not gonna be able to do so. So does that make us, I don't know, a little bit more transparent? Who knows? I mean, it's a great question. Does technology make us more human, or does it make it more yeah, less, human. less human, right? And it's like, a, I think that we see it sort of go both ways, even now. And it's Hopefully, it's the idea that it's technology is augmenting our awessomeness and humanity more <laughs> than in, in, in our connection, right. right? I mean, in some yeah. ways, technology has helped us to be more connected, yeah. and in other ways, more isolated. And hopefully, we can do more of the former and less of the latter. Mm -hmm. So what things do you want to see more interconnected and which things are you like you know what just leave it as it is <laughs> yeah i think one thing to start is we've already got enough a fair amount of smart devices in our lives that you know you guys know what i'm talking about we have to like learn a new operating system every time we want to sort of like get into a rental car for right. crying out loud right, right? Oh, don't, uh, don't you love getting a rental car that is not all fancied up it's like it's like 
circa about 87, yeah. like no computers. Yeah. Like that makes me really excited. Yeah. Anyway, sorry. I, I was in a car recently that the, the clock stopped working when it went out of cell phone service. Like they were streaming the, wow. the time or car something. Stuff. Great. Anyway. <laughs> Uh, a friend of mine, Aral Balkan, uh, a U UK developer, created this thing where uh, just an overnight hack that he did using a Kinect where you can just grab uh, a screenshot from what's playing on the TV and touch it into your phone. And it's like, bam. You know, it's like, we need to have those kinds of effortless and, and Harry Potter-like yeah. experiences where we can effortlessly move not just content between devices, but, but like you were saying, behaviors. Mm -hmm. Very cool. I'm just I don't so know, I was slightly stunned by the thoughts of all of this. I think it's also interesting with the you know, with the the Nike fuel band with the newest one, the thing that people are talking about the most amazing thing, you can touch it and it tells you the time. And so it's also funny that, you know, some of these devices then become so smart that they're actually almost stupid in a sense because they're missing that piece that we really need. And this device on our wrist wasn't telling us time. Right. We had to you know, swipe through to be able to tell time. And they've now incorporated that just touch and it tells time. Well, so we also have to make sure. But this is also a good example. So I've got my, my Fitbit yeah. on here. And I am one of those people who wears a watch, right? And I carry my smartphone. So, What's you know, what, what? why is there, is there one of these that I can lose? Like, why do I have to, you know, why so many things? Like, is a single-use device a good, good idea in terms of a wearable and the sensors? Or can I, why can't I have the sensor here? Is there something I could attach that would do the same thing and give me my report once a week? I mean, that's something that you've seen with the phone has killed tons of things. You know, a lot of people don't wear a watch anymore because of that. They don't carry a camera anymore. They don't, you know, it's, it's sort of absorbing all of these things. But in terms of the things that you wear on your body, I mean, I think that we will, like we always have, continue to wear things on our body. Some of them will have technology in them. But I think right now we're seeing all these sort of wearable things, you know, like Fuel Band or Fitbit or... Uh, or Google Glass, which right now are sort of leading more with the technology than right. with the wearable. A lot of wearables right. aren't very wearable, you know? <laughs> it's like, I, I, they look like you're wearing a piece of engineering. Right. right. And it's an engineering-led environment. And some of the fitness stuff actually doesn't look that bad, but it's more fitness fashion than fashion. Right. And I think that for a lot of that stuff to succeed, it's got to be something that I would want to wear even if it had no technology. I mean, you think about what the pocket watch was like originally. That was a piece of jewelry that they finally right. figured out how to put some technology into, you know, a locket that you used to keep, you know, maybe a little note or a f dry flower or a picture of your sweetheart, you know, 200 years ago. And they were like, oh, we can put some technology in here. But you were still wearing the jewelry. And I think that that's something that we, that we need to keep an eye on is what do I want to wear? And, and then those can do purpose-built things that are appropriate to the thing that you're wearing, but it shouldn't be about the technology. Mm -hmm. It right. should be about the fashion, in a sense. And that's why I like the Pebble Watch, because we've been programming the Pebble Watch, and so we'll come up with scenarios of things that we want it to do, and we do a, a lot of talks, a lot of presentations, and so the guys on my team came up with an, an app for the Pebble Watch where I just tap my pebble and it changes the slides. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. things like that I think are very practical. It tells me the time and I can you know, make sure that I'm talking about the right thing mm -hmm. as the screen behind me. Yeah, well, if I so. want 30 seconds per slide, yeah. touch this. I don't right. have to use a clicker. Yeah, got Don't it. need my clicker. I got rid of that extra device that I didn't need. And yeah, it's just very convenient. Well, I think that's what's interesting about what you're saying is that all of our wearables don't really have a history. So I think that's why they feel so foreign. We don't have this pocket watch. I bet the first pocket watch or the very first watch maybe felt like, what are you wearing? What is that? <laughs> that looks terrible. <laughs> I'll hide it. I'll hide it. 
Yeah, I mean, it's an interesting, you know, I mean, uh, we, we do have wearables in the sense of like glasses, right? Mm -hmm. You, uh, you know, you're wearing glasses that they look like glasses, but if they you're wearing a Google Glass, yeah, there you go, they augment your vision. It's a great technology. Uh, but you know, it's sort of, you see a lot of these more engineering led things where if you're wearing Google Glass, you're wearing a piece of technology, one of those Bluetooth earpieces. Is right. it, there's no, it didn't come from a human point of view. Right. Whereas I think a lot of, and that's sort of a, a difference between, I think, you know, a, a Google-like community and Apple-like community, which is Google is sort of an engineering environment, Apple's a design environment, and companies like Apple or Frog Design or something like that will start with the object and say, here's some glasses, what if these were magic? Mm -hmm. make, make them magic engineers rather than, hey, engineer, hey, with the engineers saying, hey, designers, can you make this wearable in some way? Yeah. I've got it's this great computer, twist. can you put it on your head? Yeah, right. <laughs> One of the most practical things I've seen recently as well as on Kickstarter was a ring that you use for the Boston subway and you tap it and that's basically your t your charge and that's what you're doing for your ride. And it's like, you know, everybody wears a ring in some way, shape or form. So it's not giving you another jewelry or another device you have to actually use. It's just replacing something and giving it more functionality. And it was immediately funded. Everyone's like, this seems very practical. So I'm looking forward to getting mine around Christmas. <laughs> oh, shoot, I wore my Safeway ring instead of mine. My subway <laughs> ring. You know, it's like, oh yeah, man, I gotta yeah. have like a five of them. <laughs> yeah, can, it's can like you, you're Mr. T after yeah, a little while. I could just see it. That's right. The Mr. T wearable and sensor collection. Yeah. <laughs> You'd be a fool not to get it. <laughs> but Is anybody with me? That was like from the 80s, like 30 years ago. I don't know. Old man up here. We're with you up here. Yeah, right, thank we, you. we know. We know what you're talking about. Yeah. Um, well, I was going to say, I think that it's um, really exciting to think about what's coming. And I think a lot of our limitations have been that technology has needed to be encased in hard shells. And, and um, what we're starting to see a lot is flexible uh, circuitry. Um, there's a lot of obsession in the maker community with printed, even being able to print on a piece of paper, being able to print a circuit. And, you know, that means that we can go back to having maybe the materials that I love, you know, a wool cap that I love or, or uh, you know, glasses made out of tortoise. Well, not made out of tortoise shell, but tortoise <laughs> shell looking <laughs> like tortoise, tortoise <laughs> shell looking like material. Yes. <laughs> a classic faux tortoise shell material but you know that still has the integrity and the warmth and the history that we're used to but is magical and then i mean one of the reminds me of i went to school at berkeley for information management systems and one of the things that people were was creating was smart dust and so the essentially the paint on the walls would know when someone was in a room and it would then you know allow the room to warm up and what they were talking about is could the room have memories so that the room would be able to know if you had been there before or to know, you know, based on the number of people, what it should do. And so I think things like that are also, I mean, going from, you know, their clothing being smarter about your temperature and your preferences, the rooms were, you know, be able to do so as well. And then it could react. And it was, it was a really interesting project. And then they eventually went from smart dust to smart paint. And I think that's actually something that people are starting to explore using. I mean, the thing about this, right, of all this is, you know, we, we this sort of sounds kind of science fiction, like the, the objects us. and the places and the people and everything around us sort of having this 
this uh, awareness, this intelligence. And it sounds like that's the future. And the truth is, it's all here right now. And in fact, a lot of the technologies to enable this are already in all of your pockets and handbags, living rooms in the form of a Kinect if you've got an Xbox. The stuff is here. And it's not even a technology problem anymore. It's a really a problem of imagination, of how do we assemble all these things in interesting ways, because the technology is here, it's cheap, and it's fast. And now it's sort of, sort of more of a thing of just sort of standing back and like, wow, what happens if we make any object and imbue it with a little bit of magic? And, um, and it has implications, because there's also creepy things about a room with a memory, you know? And, and there's a lot of things right now about data and privacy and with our own government uh, of, of, you know, what happens. And, and the, you know, what happens if the genie is let out of the bottle? And the truth is, the genie is already out of the bottle. And it's, and it's going to keep coming out. And so the thing that we needed to figure out now is how do we design this in a correct spirit? So here we are worried about one. the government monitoring us, and now we have to worry about paint. <laughs> <laughs> Is what That's you're right. saying to government me. Government paint. <laughs> Look out for the government paint. <laughs> and rice-sized yeah. sensors in your hamburgers. Yeah. I mean, one of one of the people I work with is you know he, he does a lot of hiking and a lot of camping, and so he actually has a sensor in himself. And we were thinking about you know that's kind of strange, but if he gets lost, then it actually is what people use to track him. And that like, was like implanted. Yeah, it's implanted in his wrist. And that way, you know, when he goes out and he happens to be, you know, in the outback and something happens, they'll be able to find him. Just basically find him on the, the phone. He'll have his own tracking device. Well, so upgrades so are tough. Yeah, upgrades exactly. are tough. Yeah. Yeah. Gotta figure out how he does that. No, no, but you as soon as you say that, you know, the outback, but you think about it too in terms of if you had sensors and things like shoelaces, right? You know, you don't have to worry about the sensor of a child losing a phone if it was sensors and shoelaces or common objects in terms of locating someone or an emergency situation and, you know, those kinds of uses. Um, I'm sort of interested with some of this, you know, uh, as you, you're talking about, like, flexible technology, where some of this gets out of gimmick um, and into, you know, I want to say that kind of, with, whether it's an emergency or, you know, it, it truly improving our lives as opposed to just being novelty. Well, the one I think has gone too far is the Fitbit for the dog. I mean, that one we've just been tracking, and it's like this poor pet just wants to relax, and you're tracking how many steps it's taken. I think that's gone a you little know, bit like too you, far. You know when Fido's <laughs> fat. Yeah. And maybe if you had your Fitbit on working and you took Fido with you, exactly. Fido wouldn't look like that. But I think, yeah, I, I just feel sorry for the dog. I think that, that to me has gone a little bit too far. Oh, Oops. Oops. I have an obsession of putting sensors on my dog. I've <laughs> written articles about it. <laughs> I just want to know. This is know? actually an intervention for you, Carla. Yeah. We're all here. Everyone gather around now. Yeah. We'll have people from the audience stand up and say, we're here to confront you about this. Your poor pet has called us. Well, I mean, but what? this idea of, you know, of, I mean, this sort of stuff, you know, a lot of this, when you play with these things, it is a little bit of a, a solution in search of a problem. And that's sort of the nature of innovation. It's like, we've got all these things. Let's see what happens. We're splashing in the puddles a little bit right now. Uh, but I think that also there are very real applications. And I think the healthcare industry in particular is really um, being pretty forward thinking about, you know, how can we connect 
sensors for, for medical reasons to these devices that we all carry in our, in our pockets and handbags now. Um, you know, I mentioned sort of the pill, which is, wow, that's a pretty far out one. But I was talking with another device manufacturer uh, recently that they've come up with this sensor that is for people with advanced pulmonary disease, really sick hearts. Uh, and one of the early warning signs that, that this illness has when something bad is about to happen is a few hours before a change in blood pressure. So they've got a sensor that likewise you embed near the heart in the, in the artery. Uh, and you know, it's great, so it can detect the thing, but now it's in my body, how do I check, you know, how do I know what it's doing? You know, the way it works is you touch a pad and it downloads the data through your skin and then relays that to your phone or tablet and uploads the information to your doctor. tweets it out for you. Yeah, you know, just Twitter. <laughs> say, uh, you know, Josh is about to die. <laughs> Dying. Uh, no, it doesn't do that. It says Josh is about to live because we're telling the doctor, right. you know, what's, that there's a, a turn. And it can actually give sort of feedback about this stuff. So there's, you know, uh, this is some things that there are a lot of, there's a lot of whimsical act stuff with this, but there's also some real, you know, life-saving and life-changing applications. I think there's practical applications as well. I mean, traffic is something everybody wants to avoid. And that's something where it can tell you, you know, where a parking space is or it can tell you what roads to avoid. So there are a lot of practical implications. And I think those combinations with things that are a little bit extreme, again, are going to make amazing magic happen. And yeah, we're going to experience a lot of that. It's pretty cool to think about. It's very cool. All right. Questions? Hello. Um, wonderful presentation. And uh, I, I think it's wonderful uh, what, what's achievable with uh, mobile sensors. Uh, I think the primary concern that uh, many people have, uh, such as myself, is the that we spend so much of our time going from one oasis of power to another, and that it's a little bit uh, an oxymoron to call your mobile device a mobile device if you're uh, restricted to only using it to places where you can find power. Uh, and I'd like to hear what your thoughts are and uh, innovations that, that maybe we can look, in, look forward to soon that can uh, help uh, reduce the amount of effort we, we put into charging our devices. <laughs> I, was, I was just thinking, I don't know where you had the rental car that the, the, um, uh, the, 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 clock, yeah. the clock was always wrong. Because you know, whenever I'm on my mobile phone and talking to someone in Silicon Valley, there's, they, there's a certain point they're like, listen, I have to call you back in 10 minutes. I'm heading into a dead zone. And, <laughs> right. you know, right. and we all know the corners in Manhattan, but. Yeah. Well, power is one of my obsessions because I really am excited about the potential of Internet of Things, but I think that we cannot realize our vision without having alternative sources of power, be them kinetic energy. So I've been trying to play with some, um, you know, actually cranking things up or shaking things, or there are some folks at Georgia Tech who have been working on a fabric that when it actually moves, it's starting to generate electricity. And um, there's a group at University of Washington that's working on something that they call ambient backscatter. And what it does is it actually can collect or it can be in the way of the radio waves that are already in the air and use that to excite a sensor enough to give a reading. Now that's not charging an entire mobile device, but you know, I think the bigger issue is do I really want to have to recharge my coffee cup and my apron and things like that? Can, can by some other activity, can those things get charged up? Yeah. Well, and, and it, you know, at the same time, with traditional batteries, we're seeing a lot of real advances year over year of you know getting more and more, squeezing more juice out of the out of each battery, literally. 
And, uh, you know, I think that, that one thing, too, that we're seeing, though, is a lot of experiments with, well, how can we also use that power differently? So, you know, one of the things that's going to connect all of these little dumb gadgets and smart gadgets is, you know, some kind of network connection. And we're starting to see, you know, the new Bluetooth 4 technology, which is in a lot of the, the latest phones that can just sort of say, hi, I'm here. Hi, I'm here. Hi, I'm here. But without having, like, a full connection. So it's sort of the network stuff of, of the and the handshake and the greeting between devices is starting to be a lower power but also these sort of things of we're seeing something in the the new um, Motorola Moto X phone right that has its own separate chip that's like sort of this low power chip so that it can constantly be listening in so it's ready for your voice command and so there's sort of there's a kind of a technology thing of saying like you know how can we kind of peel off these high power things and separate them but i think you're right it's a it's a it's a real challenge in all this of how can we create especially you know we don't want to change batteries in everything as we get more and more devices how can we create these low power experiences and, and like if we you're want, saying if we alternative want, sources of and power. we want one device to do a multitude of things does the, all those multitude of things have to have the same amount of power, and can they can they have less? Otherwise, yeah. we're going to be, you know, all these sort of single-purpose yeah. devices attached to us. I was going to say, I mean, we're starting to see, I think, from a legal perspective, that the phones will have a common charger. So what we've been talking about, it's almost charging your phone is becoming like the water cooler moment. Mm -hmm. Because you go to a lot of conferences, and they typically have a place where you can charge your phone. And so that often is where you start talking to people because you're waiting for your phone to charge. You really can't do anything else, so you're, you're having fun just meeting new people. So I, I want it to stay a bit difficult so that I have those opportunities for serendipity. <laughs> well, and literally those campfire moments, actually, there actually is literally a way to charge your phone by fire. There's yeah. a Kickstarter project <laughs> where you actually like start a fire, like a campfire kind right, of charger. Right. Remember after you Sandy. sort of boil some water and it sort of yeah. does a thing. Remember, we saw that after Sandy. Yeah. All right, we could talk about power for ages. More questions. I think there was more hands up. Thank you. Thank you, guys. And a great Mr. T joke, Josh. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks a lot. So my question is around getting uh, wearable tech to the mass market. You know, we're seeing a lot of influences with even luxury retail, you know, Burberry going Apple and special projects from YSL, even um, looking at Samsung with their smartwatch, the influences that they've had. So for people who are early adopters, it's great to look at these cool tech functions like the apron or the microwave or the ring, but how do we get that to the large scale? And is it through these names, uh, these name brands integrating with the tech itself to get it on the widespread appeal of consumers? I would actually say it's actually it's already there. I mean, one of the things that shocked a lot of people in London is we all use Oyster cards to, you know, just do our tube passes. And people never realized there's actually essentially really smart technology in an Oyster card. And so as soon as people started talking about RFID and getting people aware of what that meant, people were looking at these little like credit card things, realizing they're actually quite smart. So I think it's also making people aware of the things they're already using that actually are more intelligent than we think and getting them to start realizing the potential of these things that are just around them and part of their everyday lives. And I want to say stay on London. Talk about what's in Tesco. Tesco is a, a grocery store chain like Safeway or D'Agostino, but... What's in the Tesco's in London? I think that was Josh's story. Josh, it was Josh's oh. story? Yeah, no, it's a, in, uh, I guess, in the Tesco's, uh, you know, the supermarket chain, they've started putting in little 3D printing stations. You know, it's sort of like this, it's a, exactly, again, this splashing the puddles. What happens if we make these public stations? So you don't have to 
have your 3D printing, but you can download the file, send it over to the supermarket, and pick it up while you know you're picking up your you cereal and coffee. <laughs> can you build up a quarter milk and do some 3D yeah, printing? Yeah, exactly. You know, and and my you know 3D printed polar bear. <laughs> Whatever it is yeah, that you're you going know. to 3D print. Yeah. So. yeah, I mean, I was going to say the other opportunity that to look, go on with what Josh was saying is around Microsoft. I mean, Microsoft is starting to have the ability to print just 3D like you would print a normal to a Xerox printer or whatever type of printer you have, you could actually print a 3D object directly from your, your computer. And I think things like that will just cause it to spiral because it'll be just commonplace. The devices themselves are becoming cheaper. They'll be at FedEx stores. They'll be anywhere where you want to print. You can just choose it as an option and off you go. So I think it's going to happen much faster because it, it already is around us. We just need to make people aware of it. I mean, it's again this idea of digital and physical coming together, that a physical object can have a digital pattern that you can just clone over and over again. And, you know, it, this is in its early stages at a consumer level, but it's sort of a manufacturing prototyping level. It's quite sophisticated already, where you can print stuff and all kinds of materials, ceramic and brass and gold. Uh, it's great for sort of jewelry uh, prototyping and even production. Cool. Yeah, and there are some folks at Disney Research who are also working on embedding multiple, as well as a number of other places. If you can embed the circuit already within the object, then can you have an interactive object that is already smart? I mean, you have to add battery and maybe a sensor. And make, make those Mickey Mouse ears smart. Yeah. <laughs> Do something with but them. If we've, I, yeah, we've if seen if those I, at South by Southwest. I mean, there were people walking around last year where, depending on your mood, the ears would move. <laughs> and that was probably one of the coolest things. Everybody's waiting for to see someone to be able to guess how they were feeling. Yeah. <laughs> and and it, that's a sense of fun. It's a yeah. sense of cool, right? I mean, if you're going to put something on your body, to your question about how do we make wearables hit, it's got to be something that I think is cool enough to be interesting. And for some people, that's something that it is the technology. You know, the guys who are still wearing the Bluetooth, you know, earpieces, I mean, whatever, right? That's not going <laughs> to catch on with, ev with everybody. It's already clear. It's too techy. It's not cool to most people. So the question is, you know, what is cool? And in a lot of these things, if you know, if you think about the things in your life that are cool, it's something that 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 looks great, that makes me feel good, it makes me attractive to other people and to myself. That that in terms of technology, actually saves me time or eliminates hassle. This kind of direct to action. I've got a ring that I can, you know, sort of get through something. And so I think that something is that is if we can make something cool in all those ways, as well as the fashion sense, and we start with the object and not just the technology. I think it's really important for wearables to start from the design side rather than the engineering side. As we get these things, and it's an attractive thing to wear, then it's like, wow, yeah, yeah, I'll put that on. Right. Especially if it does something cool. I was going to say one, another practical application we've seen is in Africa. There are a number of kids that were using Raspberry Pis and then using a Wi-Fi adapter to connect to Khan Academy videos. And so they didn't have access to computers per se, but they did have access to these inexpensive devices. And they were just learning and being exposed to things that they wouldn't have been exposed to otherwise because of this technology that's now available. It was really neat. Very cool. Any more questions? Oh, there we go. Um, firstly, uh, it's a very good presentation. And thank you all for that. And I have one question. Uh, we all uh, enjoy smartphone, using smartphones and laptops, new laptops, and it's pretty cool. But um, it, what we what we've done till now for those people who have disabilities, like blind or those people doesn't hear something, 
I, th I think if you have some ideas or something like that, I, uh, I hope to share these ideas with us. And yeah. Yeah. So it's actually a great question in terms of, you know, we're, we're talking about these devices from the perspective of able-bodied people. You know, what does this whole Internet of Things mean for, you know, you hit on it with the medicine, maybe the sick or the elderly, but for people with, you know, a disability? Incredibly powerful, right? I mean, if you think about what, what devices are able to do now, just your phone, you know, is, is it can hear and it can see and it understands touch and it understands proximity, it understands direction. You know, it's got a, it's got a, a, a gyroscope for crying out loud. Uh, it understands who you are from now that we've got like biometrics and fingerprint scanners in these things. And, it, and actually, you know, if you see, for example, a, a blind person who used to have to have all of this kind of gear and extra stuff just to get through life, they can do it now with a phone. Apple, for example, with iOS, did engineered remarkable accessibility tools into these things, uh, in, in particular, a real leader in this stuff. Um, and so you see things, for example, that it's like now you can use your phone to point it at a at a bill. At a you know, in the U.S., we have incredibly hostile currency to the blind. It's all the same size. It all feels the same. Uh, you know, if you have if you can still see, but you have poor vision, it looks the same very hostile currency. But we have like uh, apps that you can just sort of point the camera at the thing and it will say out loud that is a $5 bill or any currency in the world. So these kinds of things of, of wayfinding and making sense of the world, incredibly powerful to people who've lost any of their senses. Yeah, I would agree. And um, another example at the MIT Media Lab in Patty May's group, the Fluid Interfaces, they're working on a ring that you can wear that has a camera in it that you can point at objects and it helps you discern what they are and make sense of your environment. And another experience that I had, so in January um, I wrote a piece that was the cover of the Sunday Review. It was called Walking Talking Objects and it was all about this. It was about robotics and our everyday objects and how they're going to have personalities and they're going to be so expressive. And I had an enormous number of comments and many of them were from people who were irate, which actually also made me happy because I felt like, well, this touched a nerve. I mean, it's something that they clearly believe in. They didn't say, like, oh, pish, that's nonsense. People said, this is a horrible future, I'm afraid, and, you know, I don't want this future, and kill me now, and, and it went on and on, and people were, you know, quoting sci-fi movies, and, go, and it was escalating until, at one point, um, some somebody who said, you know what, I have disabilities, I use a number of objects that assist me, the smarter they can be, the more robotic they are, I will welcome them. And I look forward to them being well designed, and if they bring an element of delight, even better. So that I, for happy. one, welcome my new robotic overlords. <laughs> <laughs> I want that made from the Jetsons. Can we speed that up? <laughs> I was going to say we're seeing a lot with prosthetics, and that's where I think a lot of it's potential and opportunity because you're giving people back the ability to walk or something along those lines. And we're seeing that again at the Media Lab. There are a number of examples of that. It was quite impressive. Very cool. Do we have time for? Um, OK, hi. Thanks again for talking to us tonight. Um, so you talked a lot about all these like really practical and beneficial uses of this technology. Um, and that's all very positive. But I'd be super excited to hear about what like the biggest I don't know, like pitfalls or like misuses or just like dangers you and your respective industries see with this emerging technology? Well, I mean, I'd say for Carla, that would be bad design, but that's just my <laughs> flip. <laughs> <laughs> I 
<laughs> choosing the wrong material. <laughs> I'm just because we we know we know Josh is going to have some big dangers here. So all right, uh, I had yeah. to be a little bit light there. Just uh, yeah, no, I'm just worried about our pets' privacy. Really, it's, uh, I, mean, I, I think it really is the data thing, right? I mean, I think that that's something that I think all of us are becoming more and more conscious of is that our data is out there, uh, and not even just that it's out there, but that it's able to be processed in ways that it haven't before. I think that a lot of people don't realize quite how much data we've always been putting out and how much we've sort of always been sort of being tracked. Uh, and now this is making it explicit and putting it into services and into machines and systems that are able to process this and discern patterns. And I think that one of the things, so I think that there's there's kind of this broad concern of, well, what are people going to do with this information? I think that that is a concern, of course. I mean, it's always been a, a concern. Um, but I think that actually a, 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 another way to look at it is sort of the problem with this big data is, you know, there's this, there's this idea that, oh, if you've got the data, you can just get the answer, or you can learn something about anybody. And actually, our experiences, right, with data-driven services is much more sort of like they're kind of bad at it, right? They don't know me. Um, and because they're the, 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 the way that we interpret data is driven entirely by the model that we use, the algorithm that we use, the assumptions that go into it. You use wrong assumptions, you get bad data and bad models out of it. So part of the risk is, is sort of this false confidence that we might see in certain places and companies where they're using this data and they're doing, they're making bad calls from it because they have a false confidence of, oh, this is driven by the data. The nerds say this is what we should do. These running shoes that have sensors in it say that everyone does this, but so that's bad right. input, bad output. Yeah. yeah. And so, you know, I think that there's a there's a in broadly a risk of sort of privacy concerns with all of this stuff, but also just bad decisions being made from too much data poorly processed. Yeah. I mean the other area that we get concerned about is recycling the technology. Because the technology is changing so rapidly, people are constantly updating their devices, but they often just discard the devices that they've had. And that creates a problem because you've got all these used electronics that you know, go into waste somewhere. And so we want to make sure that people that don't have access to the latest technologies are able to get those you know, second generation devices because that's an amazing opportunity for them to you know, experience the world. And that's a, you know, it's a problem just making sure that it's easy for people to do the donation process because if it isn't, unfortunately, people aren't necessarily going to take that step. It's a great point too. It's like as things get smarter, it seems like their lives are getting shorter. Like televisions, right? It used to be, I don't know, the last fifteen or twenty years and now people you know, right. Yeah. And so what about smart refrigerators where we usually go fifteen <laughs> or twenty years, you know, they last a long time. But now it's like, oh I gotta upgrade my Yeah, my screen and my, screen, my yeah. smart refrigerator. <laughs> yeah, it's a horrible thought. And I I mean I do fear that we're about to enter a time of just a glut of things and a glut of jumping in puddles, as you say, when we know that the thing isn't quite perfect or it's not doing exactly what we need, but it's the novelty. And, and I, I have a mixed mind about this. I mean, it's really upsetting to think about how wasteful that is, but at the same time, we don't get to the other side of things until we try and people actually have them in their lives and are using them and we learn from that. Cool. Well, we'll leave it on that. As always, thank you, Matt. Thank you, Apple. Thank you, everyone, for showing up. And thank you to my incredible panel.